Chapter 15, Part 2 of Emily Bronte by Agnes Mary Frances Robinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Wuthering Heights, The Story, Part 2. Catherine's welcome changed his plan. Her brother was safe from Heathcliff's violence, but not from his hate. The score was being settled in a different fashion. Hindley, who was eager to get money for his gambling and who had drunk his wits away, was only too glad to take Heathcliff as lodger, boon companion, and fellow card player at once. And Heathcliff was content to wait and take his revenge sip by sip, encouraging his old oppressor in drink and gaming, watching him lose acre after acre of his land, knowing that sooner or later Earnshaw would lose everything and he, Heathcliff, be master of Wuthering Heights with Hindley's son for his servant. Revenge is sweet. Meanwhile, Wuthering Heights was a handy lodging at walking distance from the Grange. But soon his visits were cut off. Isabella Linton, a charming girl of eighteen with an espiègle face and a thin sweetness of disposition that could easily turn sour, Isabella Linton fell in love with Heathcliff. To do him justice, he had never dreamed of marrying her until one day Catherine, in a fit of passion, revealed the poor girl's secret. Heathcliff pretended not to believe her, but Isabel was her brother's heir and to marry her, inherit Edgar's money, and ill-use his sister would indeed be a fair revenge on Catherine's husband. At first it was merely as an artistically pleasurable idea a castle in the air to be dreamed about not built that this scheme suggested itself to heathcliff but one day when he had been detected in an experimental courting of isabel edgar linton glad of an excuse turned him out of doors then in a paroxysm of hatred never satisfied revenge and baffled passion heathcliff struck with the poisoned weapon ready to his hand he persuaded isabel to run away with him no difficult task and they eloped together one night to be married. Isabella, poor, weak, romantic, sprightly Isabel, was not missed at first, for very terrible trouble had fallen upon the Grange. Catherine, in a paroxysm of rage at the dismissal of Heathcliff, quarrelled violently with Edgar and shut herself up in her own room. For three days and nights she remained there, eating nothing, Edgar secluded in his study, expecting every moment that she would come down and ask his forgiveness. Nellie Dean, who alone knew of her determined starving, resolved to say nothing about it and conquer once for all the haughty and passionate spirit which possessed her beautiful young mistress. So three days went by. Catherine still refused all her food, and unsympathetic Ellen still resolved to let her starve, if she chose without remonstrance on the third day catherine unbarred her door and asked for food and now ellen dean was too frightened to exult her mistress was wasted haggard wild as if by months of illness the too presumptuous servant remembered the doctor's warning and dreaded her master's anger when he should discover catherine's real condition on this servant's obstinate cold-heartedness rests the crisis of wuthering heights had ellen dean at the first attempted to console the violent childish catherine had she acquainted edgar of the real weakness underneath her pride catherine would have had no fatal illness and left no motherless child 
and had moping isabel instead of being left to weep alone about the park and garden been conducted to her sister's room and shown a real sickness to nurse a real misery to mend she would not have gone away with heathcliff and wedded herself to sorrow out of a fanciful love and idleness it is characteristic of emily bronte's genius that she should choose so very simple and homely a means for the production of most terrible results a fit she had had alone and untended during those three days of isolated starvation had unsettled catherine's reason the gradual coming on of her delirium is given with a masterly pathos that webster need not have made more strong nor fletcher more lovely and appealing a minute previously she was violent now supported on one arm and not noticing my refusal to obey her she seemed to find childish diversion in pulling the feathers from the rents she had just made in the pillows and ranging them on the sheet according to their different species her mind had strayed to other associations that's a turkey's she murmured to herself and this is a wild duck's and this is a pigeon's ah they put pigeon's feathers in the pillows no wonder i couldn't die let me take care to throw it on the floor when i lie down and here's a moorcock's in this i should know it among a thousand it's a lapwing's bonny bird wheeling over our heads in the middle of the moor it wanted to get to its nest for the clouds had touched the swells and it felt rain coming this feather was picked up from the heath the bird was not shot we saw its nest in the winter full of little skeletons heathcliff set a trap over it and the old ones dare not come i made him promise he'd never shoot a lapwing after that and he didn't yes here are more did he shoot my lapwings nelly are they red any of them let me look give over with that baby work i interrupted dragging the pillow away and turning the holes toward the mattress for she was removing its contents by handfuls lie down and shut your eyes you're wandering there's a mess the down is flying about like snow i went here and there collecting it i see in you nelly she continued dreamily an aged woman you have gray hair and bent shoulders this bed is the fairy cave under peniston crag and you are gathering elf bolts to hurt our heifers pretending while i am near that they are only locks of wool that's what you'll come to fifty years hence i know you are not so now i'm not wandering you're mistaken or else i should believe you really were that withered hag and i should think i was under peniston crag and i'm conscious it's night and there are two candles on the table making the black press shine like jet the black press where is that i asked you are talking in your sleep it's against the wall as it always is she replied it does appear odd i see a face in it there's no press in the room and never was said i resuming my seat and looping up the curtain so i might watch her don't you see that face she inquired gazing earnestly at the mirror and say what i could i was incapable of making her comprehend it to be her own so i rose and covered it with a shawl it's behind there still she pursued anxiously and it stirred who is it i hope it will not come out when you are gone oh nelly the room is haunted i'm afraid of being alone i took her hand in mine and bid her be composed for a succession of shudders convulsed her frame and she would keep straining her gaze toward the glass there's nobody here i insisted it was yourself mrs linton 
you knew it a while since myself she gasped and the clock is striking twelve it's true then that's dreadful her fingers clutched the clothes and gathered them over her eyes this scene was the beginning of a long and fearful brain fever from which owing to her husband's devoted and ceaseless care catherine recovered her life but barely her reason that hung in the balance a touch might settle it on the side of health or of madness not until the beginning of this fever was isabella's flight discovered her brother was too concerned with his wife's illness to feel as heartbroken as heathcliff hoped he was not violent against his sister nor even angry only with the mild steady persistence of his nature he refused to hold any communication with heathcliff's wife but when at the beginning of catherine's recovery ellen dean received a letter from isabella declaring the extreme wretchedness of her life at wuthering heights where heathcliff was master now edgar linton willingly accorded the serpent permission to go and see his sister arrived at wuthering heights she found that once plentiful homestead sorely ruined and deteriorated by years of thriftless dissipation and isabella linton already metamorphosed into a wan and listless slattern broken-spirited and pale as a pleasant means of entertaining his wife and her old servant heathcliff discoursed on his love for catherine and on his conviction that she could not really care for edgar linton catherine has a heart as deep as i have the sea could be as readily contained in that horse trough as her whole affection monopolized by him tush he is scarcely a degree dearer to her than her dog or her horse it is not in him to be loved like me how can she love in him what he has not nelly dean unhindered by the sight of isabella's misery or by the memory of the wrongs her master already suffered from this estimable neighbour was finally cajoled into taking a letter from him to the frail half-dying catherine appointing an interview for heathcliff persisted that he had no wish to make a disturbance or to exasperate mr linton but merely to see his old playfellow again to learn from her own lips how she was and whether in anything he could serve her the letter was taken and given the meeting came about one sunday when all the household save ellen dean were at church catherine pale apathetic but more than ever beautiful in her mazed weakness of mind and body heathcliff violent in despair seeing death in her face alternately upbraiding her fiercely for causing him so much misery and tenderly caressing the altered dying face never was so strange a love scene it is not a scene to quote not noticeable for its eloquent passages or the beauty of casual phrases but for its sustained passion desperate pure terrible it must be read in its sequence and its entirety nor can i think of any parting more terrible more penetrating in its anguish than this romeo and juliet part but they have known each other but for a week there is no scene that heathcliff can look upon in which he has not played with catherine and now that she is dying he must not watch with her troilus and cressida part but cressida is false and troilus has his country left him what country has heathcliff the outcast nameless adventurer antonio and his duchess but they have belonged to each other and been happy these two are eternally separate their passion is only heightened by its absolute freedom from desire even the wicked and desperate heathcliff has no ignoble love for catherine all he asks is that she live and that he may see her 
that she may be happy, even if it be with Linton. I would never have banished him from her society while she desired his, asserts Heathcliff, and now she is mad with grief and dying. The consciousness of their strained and thwarted natures, moreover, makes us the more regretful they must sever. Had he survived, Romeo would have been happy with Rosalind after all. Probably Juliet would have married Paris. But where will Heathcliff love again? The perverted, morose, brutalized Heathcliff, whose only human tenderness has been his love for the capricious, lively, beautiful young creature now dazed, now wretched, now dying in his arms. The very remembrance of his violence and cruelty renders more awful the spectacle of this man, sitting with his dying love, silent, their faces hid against each other and washed by each other's tears. At last they parted, Catherine unconscious, half dead. That night her puny seven-month's child was born, that night the mother died, unutterably changed, from the bright, imperious creature who entered that house as a kingdom not yet a year ago. By her side in the darkened chamber her husband lay, worn out with anguish, outside dashing his head against the trees in a berserker wrath with fate, Heathcliff raged not to be consoled. Her senses never returned. She recognized nobody from the time you left her, I said. She lies with a sweet smile upon her face, and her latest ideas wandered back to pleasant early days. Her life closed in a gentle dream. May she wake as kindly in the other world. May she wake in torment, he cried, with frightful vehemence, stamping his foot and groaning in a paroxysm of ungovernable passion. Why, she's a liar to the end. Where is she? Not there not in heaven, not perished, where? Oh, you said you cared nothing for my sufferings, and I pray one prayer. I repeat it till my tongue stiffens. Catherine Earnshaw, may you not rest as long as I am living. You said I killed you. Haunt me then. The murdered do haunt their murderers, I believe. I know that ghosts have wandered on earth. Be with me always. Take any form. Drive me mad. Only do not leave me in this abyss where I cannot find you. Oh, God, it is unutterable. I cannot live without my life. I cannot live without my soul. He dashed his head against the knotted trunk, and lifting up his eyes, howled, not like a man, but like a savage beast, being goaded to death with knives and spears. I observed several splashes of blood about the bark of the tree, and his hand and forehead were both stained. Probably the scene I witnessed was the repetition of others acted during the night. It hardly moved my compassion. It appalled me. From this time a slow, insidious madness worked in Heathcliff. When it was at its height, he was not fierce, but strangely silent, scarcely breathing, hushed as a person who draws his breath to hear some sound, only just not heard as yet, as a man who strains his eyes to see the speck on the horizon which will rise the next moment, the next instant, and grow into the ship that brings his treasure home. When I sat in the house with Hareton, it seemed that on going out I should meet her. When I walked on the moors, I should meet her coming in. When I went from home, I hastened to return. She must be somewhere at the heights, I was certain. And when I slept in her chamber, I was beaten out of that. I couldn't lie there, for the moment I closed my eyes, she was either outside the window, or sliding back the panels, or entering the room, or even resting her darling head on the same pillow, as she did when a child, and I must open my lids to see. 
and so i opened and closed them a hundred times a night to be always disappointed it was a strange way of killing not by inches but by fractions of hair-breaths to beguile me with the spectre of a hope through eighteen years this mania of expectation stretching the nerves to their uttermost strain relaxed sometimes and then heathcliff was dangerous when filled with the thought of catherine the world was indifferent to him but when this possessing memory abated ever so little he remembered that the world was his enemy had cheated him of catherine then avarice ambition revenge entered into his soul and his last state was worse than his first cruel with the insane cruelty the blood mania of annette Celine, he never was his cruelties had a purpose the sufferings of the victims were a detail not an end yet something of that despot's character refined into torturing the mind and not the flesh chaste cruel avaricious of power something of that southern morbidness in crime distinguishes heathcliff from the villains of modern english tragedies placed in the italian renaissance with cyril tourneur for a chronicler heathcliff would not have awakened the outburst of incredulous indignation which greeted his appearance in a nineteenth-century romance soon after the birth of the younger catherine isabella heathcliff escaped from her husband to the south of england he made no attempt to follow her and in her new home she gave birth to a son linton the fruit of timidity and hatred fear and revulsion from the first she reported him to be an ailing peevish creature meanwhile little catherine grew up the very light of her home an exquisite creature with her father's gentle constant nature inspired by a spark of her mother's fire and lightened by a gleam of her wayward caprice she had the earnshaw's handsome dark eyes and the linton's fair skin regular features and curling yellow hair that capacity for intense attachments reminded me of her mother still she did not resemble her her anger was never furious her love never fierce it was deep and tender cathy was in truth a charming creature though less passionate and strange in nature than catherine earnshaw not made to be loved as wildly nor as deeply mistrusted edgar grown a complete hermit devoted himself to his child who spent a life as happy and secluded as a princess in a fairy story seldom venturing outside the limits of the park and never by herself edgar had never forgotten his sorrow for the death of his young wife he loved her memory with steady constancy if and i think we may if we allow that every author has some especial quality with which in more or less degree he endows all his children if we grant that shakespeare's people are all meditative even the sprightly rosalind and the clownish dogberry if we allow that all our acquaintances and dickens are a trifle self-conscious in george eliot conscientious to such an extent that even tito milema feels remorse for conduct which granted his period and his character would more naturally have given him satisfaction then we must allow that emily bronte's special mark is constancy passionate insane constancy in heathcliff perverse but intense in the elder catherine steady and holy in edgar linton even the hard and narrow ellen dean even joseph the hypocritical pharisee are constant until death while hindley earnshaw drinks himself to death for grief at losing his consumptive wife hareton loves to the end the man who has usurped his place degraded him 
fed him on blows and exaction and it is constancy and absence that embitters and sickens the younger catherine even isabella heathcliff weak as she is is not fickle even linton heathcliff who of all the characters in fiction may share with barnes newcombe the bad eminence of supreme unlovableness even he loves his mother and catherine and in his selfish way loves them to the end the years passed nothing happened save that hindley earnshaw died and heathcliff to whom every yard had been mortgaged took possession of the place hareton who should have been the first gentleman in the neighbourhood being reduced to a state of complete dependence on his father's inveterate enemy lives as a servant in his own house deprived of the advantages of wages quite unable to right himself because of his friendlessness and his ignorance that he has been wronged the eventless years went by till catherine was thirteen when mrs heathcliff died and edgar went to the south of england to fetch her son little cathy during her father's absence grew impatient of her confinement in the park there was no one to escort her over the moors so one day she leaped the fence got lost and was finally sheltered at wuthering heights of which place and of all its inmates she had been kept in total ignorance she promised to keep the visit a secret from her father lest he should dismiss ellen dean she was very indignant at being told that rudely bred hareton was her cousin and when that night linton delicate pretty pettish linton arrived she infinitely preferred his cousinship the next morning she found linton gone his father having sent for him to wuthering heights edgar linton however did not tell his daughter that her cousin was so near he would not for worlds she should cross the threshold of that terrible house but one day cathy and ellen dean met heathcliff on the moors and he half persuaded half forced them to come home and see his son grown a most despicable puling ailing creature half violent half terrified cathy's kind little heart did not see the faults she only saw that her cousin was ill unhappy in need of her she was easily entrapped one winter when her father and ellen dean were both ill into a secret engagement with this boy cousin the only lad save uncouth hareton whom she had ever seen every night when her day's nursing was done she rode over to wuthering heights to pet and fondle linton heathcliff did all he could to favour the plan he knew his son was dying notwithstanding that every care was taken to preserve the air of wuthering heights and thrushcross grange it is true that cathy had a rival claim to marry her to linton would be to secure the title get a wife for his dying son to preserve the line of inheritance and certainly to break edgar linton's heart heathcliff's love of revenge and love of power combined to make the scheme a thing to strive for and desire he grew desperate as the boy got weaker and weaker it was but too likely that he would die before his dying uncle and if edgar linton survived thrushcross grange was lost to heathcliff as a last resource he made his son write to edgar linton and beg for an interview on neutral ground edgar who ignorant of linton heathcliff's true character saw no reason why cathy should not marry her cousin if they loved each other allowed ellen dean to take her little mistress now seventeen years old on to the moors where linton heathcliff was to meet them cathy was loath to leave her father even for an hour he was so ill but she had been told linton was dying so nerved herself to go once more on the moors 
they found linton in a strange state terrified exhausted despondent making spasmodic love to cathy as if it were a lesson he had been beaten into learning she wished to return but the boy declared himself and looked too ill to go back alone they escorted him home to the heights and heathcliff persuaded them to enter saying he would go for a doctor for his sick lad but once they were in the house he showed his hand the doors were bolted the servants and hareton away neither tears nor prayers would induce him to let his victims go till catherine was linton's wife and so he told her till her father had died in solitude but five days after catherine linton now catherine heathcliff contrived an escape in time to console her father's dying hours with a false belief in her happiness a noble lie for edgar linton died contented kissing his daughter's cheek ignorant of the misery in store for her the next day heathcliff came over to the grange to recapture his prey but now catherine did not mind her father dead she received all the affronts and stings of fate with an enduring apathy it was only her that they injured a few days after linton died in the night alone with his bride after a year's absolute misery and loneliness catherine's lot was a little lightened by mr heathcliff's preferring ellen dean to the vacant post of housekeeper at wuthering heights for the all-absorbing presence of catherine earnshaw had nearly secluded heathcliff from enmity with the world he was seldom violent now he became yet more and more disinclined to society sitting alone seldom eating often walking about the whole night his face changed and the look of brooding hate gave way to a yet more alarming expression an excited wild unnatural appearance of joy he complained of no illness yet he was very pale bloodless and his teeth visible now and then in a kind of smile his frame shivering not as one shivers with chill or weakness but as a tight-stretched cord vibrates a strong thrilling rather than trembling at last his mysterious absorption the stress of his expectation became so intense that he could not eat animated with hunger he would sit down to his meal then suddenly start as if he saw something glance at the door or the window and go out weary and pale he could not sleep but left his bed hurriedly and went out to pace the garden till break of day it is not my fault he replied that i cannot eat or rest i assure you it is through no settled design i'll do both as soon as i possibly can but you might as well bid a man struggling in the water rest within arm's length of the shore i must reach it first and then i'll rest as to repenting of my injustices i've done no injustice and i repent of nothing i'm too happy and yet i'm not happy enough my soul's bliss kills my body but does not satisfy itself meanwhile the schemes of a life the deeply laid purposes of his revenge were toppling unheeded all around him like a house of cards his son was dead hareton earnshaw the real heir of wuthering heights and catherine the real heir of thrushcross grange had fallen in love with each other a most unguessed at and unlikely finale yet most natural for catherine was spoiled accomplished beautiful proud yet most affectionate and tender-hearted and hareton rude surly ignorant fierce yet true as steel staunch and with a very loving faithful heart constant even to the man who had of set purpose brutalized him and kept him in servitude 
Hareton is damnably fond of me, laughed Heathcliff. You'll own that I've outmatched Hindley there. If the dead villain could rise from the grave to abuse me for his offspring's wrongs, I should have the fun of seeing the said offspring fight him back again, indignant that he should dare to rail at the one friend he has in the world. He'll never be able to emerge from his bathos of coarseness and ignorance, cried Heathcliff in exultation. But love can do as much as hatred. Heathcliff himself, as great a boor at twenty, contrived to rub off his clownishness in order to revenge himself upon his enemies. Catherine Linton's love inspired Hareton to his great an effort. This odd, rough love story, as harshly sweet as whortleberries, as dry and stiff in its beauty as purple heather sprays, is the most purely human, the only tender interest of Wuthering Heights. It is the necessary and lawful anticlimax to Heathcliff's triumph, the final reassertion of the preeminence of right. Conquered good and conquering ill is often pitiably true, but not an everlasting law only a too frequent accident. Perceiving this, Emily Bronte shows the final discomfiture of Heathcliff, who, kinless and kithless, was in the end compelled to see the property he has so cruelly amassed descend to his hereditary enemies. And he was baffled not so much by Cathy's and Hareton's love affairs as by this sudden reaction from violence, this slackening of the heartstrings, which left him nerveless and anemic, a prey to encroaching monomania. He had spent his life in crushing the berries for his revenge, in mixing that dark and maddening draught, and when the final moment came, when he lifted it to his lips, desire had left him, he had no taste for it. I've done no injustices, said Heathcliff, and though his life had been animated by hate, revenge, and passion, let us reflect who have been his victims not the old squire who first sheltered him, for the old man never lived to know his favourite's baseness, and only derived comfort from his presence. Catherine Earnshaw suffered, not from the character of her lover, but because she married a man she merely liked, with her eyes open to the fact that she was thereby wronging the man she loved. You deserve this, said Heathcliff, when she was dying. You have killed yourself, because misery and degradation and death and nothing that God or Satan could inflict would ever have parted us, you of your own free will did it not the morality of mayfair but one whose lessons stern and grim enough must ever be sorrowfully patent to such erring and passionate spirits the third of heathcliff's victims then or rather the first was hindley earnshaw but if hindley had not already been a gamester and a drunkard a violent and soulless man heathcliff could have gained no power over him Hindley welcomed Heathcliff as Faustus the devil, because he could gratify his evil desires, because in his presence there was no need to remember shame, nor high purposes, nor forsaken goodness, and when the end comes, and he shall forfeit his soul, let him remember that there were two at that bargain. Isabella Linton was the most pitiable sufferer, victim we can scarcely call her, who required no deception but courted her doom, and after all, a marriage chiefly desired in order to humiliate a sister-in-law and show the bride to be a person of importance was not intolerably requited by three months of wretched misery after so much she has suffered to escape. From Edgar Linton, as we have seen, Heathcliff's blows fell aside unharming as the executioner strokes from a legendary martyr. 
he never learnt how secondary a place he held in his wife's heart he never knew the misery of his only daughter misery soon to be turned into joy he lived and died patient happy trustful unvisited by the violence and fury that had their centre so near his hearth the younger catherine and hareton suffered but a temporary ill the misery they endured together taught them to love the tyrant's rod had blossomed into roses and he lonely and palsied at heart eating out his soul in bitter solitude he saw his plans of vengeance all frustrated so much elaboration so simply counteracted it was he that suffered he suffered now and catherine earnshaw who helped him to ruin by her desertion and hindley who perverted him by early oppression they suffered at his hands but not the sinless the constant the noble misery in the end shifts its dull mists before the light of such clear spirits ta drusanti puthein it is a poor conclusion is it not said heathcliff an absurd termination to my violent exertions i get levers and mattocks to demolish the two houses and train myself to be capable of working like hercules and when everything is ready and in my power i find the will to lift a slate off either roof has vanished five minutes ago hareton seemed to be a personification of my youth not a human being i felt to him in such a variety of ways that it would have been impossible to have accosted him rationally in the first place his startling likeness to catherine connected him fearfully with her that however which you may suppose the most potent to arrest my imagination is in reality the least for what is not connected with her to me and what does not recall her i cannot look down to the floor but her features are shaped in the flags in every cloud in every tree filling the air by night and caught by glimpses in every object by day i am surrounded by her image the most ordinary faces of men and women my own features mock me with a resemblance the entire world is a dreadful collection of memoranda that she did exist and that i have lost her while hareton's aspect was the ghost of my immortal love of my wild endeavours to hold my right my degradation my pride my happiness and my anguish but it is frenzy to repeat these thoughts to you only it will let you know why with a reluctance to be always alone his society is no benefit rather an aggravation of the constant torment i suffer and it partly contributes to render me regardless how he and his cousin go on together i can give them no attention any more sweet forward catherine and coy passionate hareton got on very prettily together i can recall no more touching and lifelike scene than that first love-making of theirs one rainy afternoon in the kitchen where nelly dean is ironing the linen hareton sulky and miserable sitting by the fire hurt by a gunshot wound but yet more by the manifold rebuffs of pretty cathy she with all her sauciness limp in the dull wet weather coaxing him into good temper with the sweetest advancing graces it is strange that in speaking of wuthering heights this beautiful episode should be so universally forgotten and only the violence and passion of more terrible passages associated with emily bronte's name yet out of the strong cometh forth the sweet and the best honey from the dry heather bells meanwhile heathcliff let them go on frightening them more by his strange mood of abstraction than by his accustomed ferocity he could give them no attention any more 
for four days he could neither eat nor rest till his cheeks grew hollow and his eyes bloodshot like a person starving with hunger and growing blind with loss of sleep at last one early morning when the rain was streaming in at heathcliff's flapping lattice nelly dean like a good housewife went in to shut it to the master must be up and out she said but pushing back the panels of the enclosed bed she found him there laid on his back his open eyes keen and fierce quite still though his face and throat were washed with rain quite still with a frightful lifelike gaze of exultation under his brows with parted lips and sharp white teeth that sneered quite still and harmless now dead and stark dead before any vengeance had overtaken him other than the slow retributive sufferings of his own breast dead slain by too much hope and an unnatural joy never before had any villain so strange an end never before had any sufferer so protracted and sinister a torment beguiled with the spectre of a hope through eighteen years no more public nor authoritative punishment hareton passionately mourned his lost tyrant weeping in bitter earnest and kissing the sarcastic savage face that every one else shrunk from contemplating and heathcliff's memory was sacred having in the youth he ruined a most valiant defender even catherine might never bemoan his wickedness to her husband no execrations in this world or the next a great quiet envelops him his violence was not strong enough to reach that final peace and mar its completeness his grave is next to catherine's and near to edgar linton's over them all the wild bilberry springs and the peat moss and heather they do not reck of the passion the capricious sweetness the steady goodness that lie beneath it is all one to them and to the lark singing aloft i lingered round the graves under that benign sky watching the moths fluttering among the heath and harebells listening to the soft wind breathing through the grass and wondered how any one could ever imagine unquiet slumbers for the sleepers in that quiet earth so ends the story of wuthering heights the world is now agreed to accept that story as a great and tragic study of passion and sorrow a wild picture of storm and moorland of outraged goodness and ingratitude the world which has crowned king lear with immortality keeps a lesser wreath for wuthering heights but in eighteen forty eight the peals of triumph which acclaimed the success of jane eyre had no echo for the work of ellis bell that strange genius brooding and foreboding intense and narrow was passed over disregarded one author indeed in one review sidney dobell in the palladium spoke nobly and clearly of the energy and genius of this book but when that clarion augury of fame at last was sounded emily did not hear two years before they had laid her in the tomb no praise for ellis bell it is strange to think that of charlotte's two sisters it was anne who had the one short draught of exhilarating fame when the tenant of wildfell hall was in proof ellis's and acton's publishers sold it to an american firm as the last and finest production of the author of jane eyre and wuthering heights strange that even a publisher could so blunder even for his own interest 
however this mistake caused sufficient confusion at cornhill to make it necessary that the famous charlotte accompanied by anne in her quality of secondary and mistakable genius should go to town and explain their separate existence no need to disturb the author of wuthering heights that crude work of apprentice hand over whose reproduction no publishers quarrelled such troublesome honours were not for her yet says charlotte i must not be understood to make these things subject for reproach or complaint i dare not do so respect for my sister's memory forbids me by her any such querulous manifestation would have been regarded as an unworthy and offensive weakness when indeed did the murmur of complaint pass those pale inspired lips failure can have come to her with no shock of aghast surprise all her plans had failed branwell's success the school her poems her strong will had not carried them on to success but though it could not bring success it could support her against despair when this last dearest strongest work of hers was weighed in the world scales and found wanting she did not sigh resign herself and think the battle over she would have fought again but the battle was over over before victory was declared no more failures no more strivings for that brave spirit it was in july that charlotte and anne returned from london in july when the heather is in bud scarce one last withered spray was left in december to place on emily's deathbed End of chapter fifteen part two